welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, a show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren, Ahoy Hoy, and Daniel. Hey! Today we'll be discussing the overdramatically titled Season 1, Episode 22, uh, Men Plan God Laughs. The episode aired on April 27, 1995, another three-week break for us. And Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Well... Hall of Fame San Francisco 49ers quarterback Joe Montana announces his retirement. On a darker note, the Oklahoma City bombing occurs, carried out by Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. A truck bomb nearly levels a federal government building, killing at least 168 people and injuring at least 680 more. This remains one of the worst terrorist attacks ever carried out on American soil. And for a completely different pop culture shift... While You Were Sleeping is number one at the box office, and This Is How We Do It by Montel Williams takes the number one spot on the music chart. And this week we've got 33.5 million viewers down from our high last week of uh, 35.3, I think was the high. So down just a little bit, 33.5. This week's episode is directed by Chris Chulak. This is his second episode of season one. He also did Sleepless in Chicago that we had just a few weeks back. And it's written by Robert Nathan, uh, writer of Long Day's Journey, Nine and a Half Hours, and Into That Good Night. So this is his fourth episode of season one that he has written. So he is all over season one. Oh, wow. And the episode proper actually opens with uh, Mark. He's sleeping. He's surrounded by medical journals. He's alone in bed, unfortunately. Was always kind of hoping for Mark to get a little side action in between the in between the uh, nice the nice long relationships he's not even divorced yet i mean we will go into that more (laughs) this this uh episode but more on that later and randomly like his radio alarm is going off at and one of the headlines uh that's said by the newscaster on the radio is dante the cat is rescued from the parapet of the sears which I'm assuming is referring to the Sears Tower, yeah. but I have no idea what a parapet is. It's it's like one of the. I'm trying to think of how to explain. Would it, it be Hold like on, the uh, like something on like the roof? Like, I have no idea. This is a very dumb argument. <laughs> like, and my other question is: Was this a real like story? Like, was this a real news story or? I have never heard of it, is, and I guess it, I guess based on Lauren's Google Foo that she just uh, performed, it must have been some one of like the railings or something, or something, or something that protrudes out from the roof. Like I know they have like a sky deck, and I, I know that's newer than this. Anyway, we're getting way too bogged down about this. <laughs> Point is, there was a cat on the Sears Tower, and he was rescued theoretically. Hooray! And we and as as we're panning over from Mark to the radio, uh, we get a very long we get a longer pause on a picture with him and Rachel and Jen, and oh, oh the loss of his marriage and his he's, family. And he stares at it very sadly before getting up. And then from there we jump in and check in on Benton for the first time this episode. And uh, in case you thought that his surrender to Mama Benton needing to be in a home and needing round-the-clock care was going to um, cause him to chill out at all, uh, you would be sorely mistaken because he is um, harassing the doctor at the home, complaining that Mama Benton is not getting enough exercise. Uh, He's threatening them that he'll come down and supervise them himself if he has to. 
And the doc is just like, look, dude, your mother broke her hip. It's not going to heal overnight. And Benton is just still kind of grasping at the straws of control here. Like, he's just very uncomfortable in his current predicament. Yeah, it's just not dawning on him that his mom is, like, what, 80-something? And that a broken hip doesn't mean what it means if you break it at, like, 40. This is the beginning of a decline for her. It's not like life's going to get better here. From there, on a dark note, we... (laughs) We go to Susan talking on the phone, asking her mom for money at the nurse's desk to help Chloe, since Chloe doesn't have insurance, because she's trying to get Chloe into CNOB and actually get the baby started to look after properly. And from there, she hangs up. Swift comes by and asks if Mark is in yet. Nope, not yet. And Swift's like, well, tell him I need to see him immediately when we get in because we have tourists in the office today, the Joint Commission surveyors, and I'm going to need him to put in an extra couple hours after work. Another chance for Mark to make a good impression with Swift. Let's see how he does. Eh. That's about where it, where it gets to. Is, <laughs> eh. <laughs> and then staying with, uh, staying with Dr. Swift, commenting on to Orlando, another appearance from long lost desk clerk uh rolando <laughs> and just commenting how messy the intake is and poor rolando Thanks. looks like he is he's got a cold he's he doesn't feel well at all but, you know gotta love having a sick person touching all the charts and doing all that fun stuff in a hospital and swift to his credit though says call a replacement go home and uh rolando asks asked susan is he a jerk she said i don't know yet <laughs> very fair very fair assessment yeah i have to believe that rolando is uh burning through those precious few appearances that he's got because i think it's only like four or five total yeah i've just actually just checked he's got two left so we've got two more appearances of rolando before he is gone forever i was kind of curious i thought maybe this might be the the last one but uh anyway. why, why you gotta disappoint me like this <laughs> you bring me all the bad news i'm sorry it's my job so uh, first trauma of the episode uh, comes in. We've got a guy who was caught in a metal press, which just sounds horrific. Uh, Doug calls Carter to work on it with him. There's no pulse in the guy's leg. Benton shows up, which is a recurring theme in this episode. Benton just appearing out of nowhere and throws the chart aside when Carter calls him over. And he is going to relocate this guy's joint right there in the trauma room on the gurney, like climbs up onto on top of the gurney and is like yanking on this guy's leg to get it back into joint, which is sort of the procedure there. I mean, you, you want to get that back into place as soon as, pos- as possible to restore that blood flow. But damn, like it just looks barbaric as hell. Yeah, we see this a lot with not only with hip injuries, but a lot with a lot of like shoulder injuries and sweet fingers and all sorts of fun stuff gets to be relocated in the ER too much to the audience going yeah it actually happened the day that i was waiting for you to get your x-rays after your um i think it was when you broke your arms yeah and this guy was sitting in the waiting room he had dislocated his shoulder and he was just sobbing waiting for them to be able to x-ray him so then they could pop it back in the way they needed to and it was just (laughs) like you know I've, i've hurt myself but watching him suffer i don't think i ever want to dislocate anything I also wouldn't recommend breaking your arms, as you could clearly attest to on that day in the hospital. You know, this this was uh, your follow-up appointments when oh, you were getting okay. some. But yeah, no, it was it was rough. 
but as as uh, graphic and kind of barbaric as it is, he is successful. They regain the pulse in the leg. Looks like the guy's gonna be fine. Uh, Carter is sort of amazed, uh, you know, at his hero jumping in and you know, hey, you did great. You saved this guy's leg. And he's like, yeah, well, legs are something I can save today. So Benton's in his feelings a little bit, and he's taking it out on the patients in a good way, though. Emo, ch- <laughs> emo child, Benton. And to no surprise, we enter with a bang. And then after the intro, we have Susan uh, greeting Mark in the lounge when he gets in. So let's listen to their conversation. Mark? Hi. Hi. How'd it go with Jen? Uh, never got there. She didn't want me to come up. Oh. Uh, Wild Willie wants you to stay after your shift. Can't do it. You want to earn points, now's the time. If you still want to be in attending. Mark? She said I could come up tonight. I have to make a 7.30 train. You know, I remember when we used to fight, I wouldn't talk for a couple days, but I always knew that things would work out. I'm not so sure. Sound a little desperate there, Mark. I mean, he is. But should he be, though? I mean, it's kind of, you know, it wasn't that great anyway, so. Yeah, like, it's been a mess for 22 episodes. Just just let it go. Just leave it. Like, you said, whenever we'd fight and not talk for a few days. Is that really something <laughs> that you want to fight healthy. for? The straights are at it again, Lauren. I'm sorry. Lord help us all. <laughs> so yeah we'll see if that ends up being something worth him going down there later but from there we check on the little baby carter who is studying for his board exams already and mark's like those are four months away what are you doing like you've got time why are you studying and carter mentions he's like oh well, i do poorly on tests i don't know if something is like monumental as your board exam to be a medical doctor i feel like four months is reasonable like i didn't yeah to at least start planning right like i did it's not like he's like you know pouring over like piles of textbooks he's sitting at the desk while he's not doing anything else reading a book i think that's good on carter's part yeah Yeah. he's not pulling all lighters already or something like that uh but susan does happen by and ask carter what he's you know considering specializing in next year and carter's you know he's still hoping for the surgical stuff but susan implants the idea that oh you could probably get a recommendation from mark for an er internship if you're if you would be so inclined let's go ahead and plant that seed now you're not meant to be a surgeon so then we get our next patient. A girl comes in, quote, shell-shocked. Uh, went to work with her mom at the naval base and took her headphones off while they were doing morning drills at the shooting range. And Doug remarks, I always wondered why there's a naval base on Lake Michigan. Are we worried Canada is going to invade? Which, personal note for this, Nurse Jen and I actually stayed at that naval base on Lake Michigan when we were driving to Alaska in 2016 when we were moving there. Uh, we huh. stopped and stayed at that, and I questioned the logic of <laughs> of bringing a girl who was injured at that naval base, regardless of how severely she's injured, bringing her all the way to a downtown Chicago ER because it was easily an hour and a half away in traffic. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'm like, huh. there has to have been another hospital between uh, here and there that they could have oh, brought her to multitudes of hospitals between here and there like i've taken uh in my 
Uber driving days. I took a I took multiple people up there. Yeah, it's uh, from airports. Just crazy. Like I can't imagine why you would do that. But regardless, the girl who got the hearing issues, the one, the patient, um, she's played by an actress named Brianne Prather, who um, whose only other notable credit that I could find was that she did an episode of X-Files in 2002, so that would have been towards the end of their original run. And hey, you never know. Canada could invade. You never know. Nothing would surprise me anymore. I kind of want them to at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. My my home state would be one of the first to go, so. Annex the Upper awesome. Peninsula. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't <laughs> think the UP has got many defenses. They're probably gone. Form a base at Mackinac Island. All all twelve. There is a base at Mackinac Island. That <laughs> was early. Yeah, there's a fort up there. Today, I have we never taken you to Mackinac? No, I've never been to Mackinac. All Island. right, I'm gonna nominate that that happens this year when we go up north. Anyway, so then we go to Mark, who is dealing with one of his first. Is is Mark dealing with the shell shocked girl, or is this... no? That's Doug. Yeah. Doug is dealing that's with Doug. Okay, so this is girl. this is Mark's first patient. Mm-hmm. Then okay, yeah. so I was right. So now we've got Mark dealing with his first patient of the episode, which is little little baby and while he's trying to examine this baby the mom and dad are just talking over him and they're like his lips turn blue every night and he just you know it looks like he's having trouble breathing or you know something's just not right and his dad's like oh it's you know of course it's my fault it's gonna be his heart and it's it's my terrible genes and he just keeps going and going with it and mark's like well let's get some x-rays it could be the heart but let's not get ahead of ourselves And the dad is just chewing the scenery and is so melodramatic in every (laughs) shot we have him in. So we'll come back. We'll see what's going on with this baby a little later. But nothing too strenuous. But for for now, we get our first... Oh, hey, it's that gal? Yeah. For this episode? Kitty! Kitty! (laughs) Kitty Foreman, also known as Deborah Jo Rupp. Uh, But mostly Kitty Foreman. Exactly. Uh, Has a little couple scene guest role in this episode uh susan is walking down the hall and suddenly this woman who uh, suddenly this woman uh played by Deb- the aforementioned kitty foreman um <laughs> what you're cute uh just is very manically ranting and her name is mrs dibble and she is very very quickly talking nonsense and turns out she has stopped taking her lithium and she is bipolar so she is having what the kids call a manic episode any other highlights that you have for what Deborah Jo Rupp has been in, Daniel? The only other thing that I recognize her from or remember her from was Friends. Like, she has a, a brief thing on Friends hmm. where she's... Huh. I think she is the wife or significant other of Phoebe's brother, who Phoebe then has to be a surrogate for. And that's what ends up leading to Phoebe having twins or, or multiple kids. I don't know. I'm not a Friends expert. Uh, but that's the only other thing that I remember her from. I, I did remark as I was watching this how difficult it is to see her as anything other than Kitty. Like I know. It's even just weird like, seeing her. her yeah, it's just weird seeing her without the hair. Like, without the, the Kitty hair is just, like, something's off here. Something, And it makes her look so much younger yeah. without the 70s hair. Because, like, this is not that far off from the start of um, that 70s no, show. No, it's only a couple, couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I think that 70s show starts in 97. So this is only two years off, and she looks 20 years younger than she does on that 70s show. So they do – either they do an amazing job of, of making her look older on that show, or I don't know. But it just – it's so weird to see her as anything other than Kitty. I think part of it is it's just like the way it's kind of bedraggled and everything. It makes her look a little more helpless 
Yeah. Which also probably contributes to the youth factor. That and when you and see she's her tiny. Yeah, when you see yeah. her next to Susan and you realize how short she really is, it's just yeah. like... I think it, a lot of what we saw of her in that 70s show, they did lots of close-ups on that show. Like, they did lots of, like, yeah. shoulders-up type stuff. And so I feel like I didn't appreciate exactly how tiny she is, and it's just, like, crazy. But after that, we have Susan and Mark there discussing Chloe, and Dr. Swift decides to show up and say hello as well. So let's listen to that. Ooh, you're a big man. You could be a bodybuilder. You're so handsome. We could go to my place for dinner. We'd have a lot of fun. One of my daughters. Bipolar. They found her in Grant Park. She was sweeping the sidewalks. I feel lucky to have the right brain chemicals. Mm. You okay? Fine. How's Chloe? She wears all my clothes, never washes the dishes, forgets to feed the cat. She's coming in today for an ultrasound. You sound so enthusiastic. I'll help her out, but she's not going to run my life home. Hmm. No, I'm not going to do it. Not this time. Great. Two hours at the end of your shift. Joint commission survey. I can't. It's a bad night. Sure is. It's going to rain. I need you here. I have personal business. Personal? Since when does a resident have personal life? I'm sorry. I do. Tonight. Well, I, I guess I'll do it myself. Screw him. Do what you have to do. Michael Ironside just has that, like, sort of, like, seething thing that it's like impossible to tell if he's actually being jovial or friendly or uh, until it's too late like until he's already killed you like i guess i'll do it myself yeah but props to mark for hat you know sticking up for something that's important to him and this is the shit that got him in that fucked over his marriage in the first place so he's actually trying to like make it a little more right and trying to do the right thing and going up to milwaukee Props for making it's the a- effort, futile though it may be. True. But still, it's okay to say no sometimes at work, folks. Oh, yeah. Work-life balance. Unheard of. Work-life balance in this economy? <laughs> it's less likely than you think. Exactly. Um, so then we go on to trauma number two. We find out a girl had passed out in the hallway at her school, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, she's cyanotic. She's breathing really hard. There's no history of seizures that the teacher is aware of, and it's her teacher that brought her in. Um, the woman that brought her in, Lizzie reminded me, is from the opening scene of Twister. And is, like, otherwise uncredited in the episode. Like, I could not actually find the name of what this... I would have to go back and watch Twister to, like, find what her name is, the actress's name, because it, she wasn't credited in the episode, which I thought was strange. Yeah. She's Joe's mom at the very beginning when her when Joe's dad and Twister gets uh, sucked up into the tornado. Hmm. She's the, she's the uh, she's the mom in that gotcha. whole scenario. Also, go watch Twister. It's a fucking amazing movie. It still holds <laughs> up real well. It's still real fun. R.I.P. Bill Paxton and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's true. Yeah. God. Ah. Yep. Let me just bring us down. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll come back to that girl and, and find out what's going on with her a little later. But for now, they manage to get her stable and get a, and they go to get a hold of her parents. Um, and then we switch over to Doug and Diane walking down the hall, talking about him going to see a shrink, which was one of the mandated things for him beating the shit out of that child abuser. He's only going because he has to, so Diane can close up his file. Other than that, he's like, I don't need to go. I don't need to see a shrink. I'm fine. I'm a man. So she's like, yeah, I'm a man. So she, she's like, can you please just go? Cause I like you and I want to get this taken care of. You're going to make my job a lot easier. 
I was like, okay, fine. I guess I'll go. And then we get Susan's – is this Susan's first patient of the episode? I think so. I feel like I'm t- we're terrible about <laughs> actually tracking which one is the first one for each doctor. But uh, this is her first patient of the episode uh, with a guy who presents – emphasis on presents – himself as yes. a urologist with frequent kidney infections she asked for a urinalysis because he's asking uh, for meds right away he, like he's doing a very good job of playing the doctor role very well and we'll see later on why that is um, we did make note that the guy looks very familiar um, I was sort of unable to place him the only things I could find on his IMDB that that he's known for is a Steven Seagal movie hard to kill <laughs> and uh, he plays the iconic role of aging hippie in Forrest Gump. So clearly this guy's very prolific. Maybe I've seen Forrest Gump enough times that he's just subliminally... <laughs> subl- fuck it. He's just stuck in the back of my head. And I was like, I recognize him, but I would never be able to place him. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so we'll we'll come back to this guy. We will circle back and find out what the rest of his story is. And it is... He's not all that he seems. And I would like to uh, just circle back to the woman we were discussing from Twister. Her name is Rusty, excuse me, Rusty Schwimmer. Wow. Related to David, That's I hope? That's a name. I don't, I don't see that on you, her. You know, you would have been able to bring that up because we were going right back to that girl right now. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Well, there we Continuity! Exactly. I totally planned this. That's It's fine. It's fine. But I know her also as well. She's... From the Perfect Storm, which I've seen way too many times. Starring George Clooney. Exactly. Patreon.com slash the Tone Podcast for our monthly movie commentaries. So now we go back to um, to the girl who had passed out, and Carter is working on her with Doug. I believe it's with Doug. Yeah. Or is, is it with Benton at this point? No, it is with Benton. Yeah, you're right. Oh, okay. it's Yeah, it's with Benton. So Benton's come in to take a look, because Benton wants to save everybody's life. And... Um, all of a sudden, they realize that the girl's breath smells like fruit, which is very, very common in diabetic ketoacidosis. So the woman with her, who we believe is her teacher, didn't know she was diabetic. Um, Benton orders potassium immediately for her to try and get her levels under control and get her out of get her out of ketoacidosis. So she's good. She's getting on the mend. They're still getting a hold of her parents. We flip over to Susan and Carol. And Carol goes, I have nightmares of getting married in a peach wedding gown. And Susan's like, I think it's a nice color. Carol goes, do you have to wear it every day? Susan's like, no, but why is it that doctors wear white and nurses have to wear, you know, peach? Just just random one-off conversation with the two of them. But I just, I think their interactions are always so cute. And there does not appear to be any relation between David Schwimmer and Rusty Schwimmer. Well, darn. Rusty, Rusty Schwimmer. That sounds, it sounds like a sex thing. <laughs> a rusty swimmer. <laughs> oh, I'm making fun of not even. Name. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's totally fine. But getting back to the episode and not sex jokes, um, Rolando says, uh, tells Doug that Linda Farrell has called. Wait, you mean we act? Does she still exists? Linda's alive! Just, I know. She isn't. I like. She hasn't been sucked into the void for any longer. She's she's fought death and returned. Oh no, this yeah, she pulled a gand off the white. Exactly. <laughs> and Doug's like, Who's Linda who's Linda Farrell? That name sounds familiar. And but she, he's being sarcastic I about know, it when but, he says it. Like, I know, but Susan's like, You used to date her, but we never saw the breakup. 
Yeah, so when did this past tense happen? Exactly. Yeah, it, it had to have been a very tight window, because, I mean, the last time I think we saw her was when they were doing their, like, real heavy sex noises, and then uh, we're like, <laughs> we're a modern couple, we don't have to put labels on this, and we're not going to be together forever, and that's fine. And then I feel like after that, we had a couple of more, like, verbal references to her, for, like, she was either on the phone, or, like, she was mentioned in passing, like... But I feel like it's a very tight window for when they could have actually like split up officially. But this is this is uh, th- this I think supports my theory that the writers just forgot about her, and now they feel like they need to tie up this loose end. Oh, and it comes into play later in the episode. So then um, from there we get Carol grabbing Mark and you know being like, "Hey, we'd love if Rachel could be the ring bearer at the wedding. I think that would be so cute. You know, would she be able to?" And Mark's like. I don't, I don't know. I think so. Sure, probably. Yeah. Uh huh. Great. Sure. Because he has no idea if he is gonna have custody of right. his kid or what's say, going on. I don't even yeah. have officially have custody of my child at the moment, so I can't tell you for sure. But nobody here knows that everything's falling apart. So yeah, she'll be there. Yeah. Great. Well, Doug and Susan know, but but you know what I mean. Like the the rest of the staff That's doesn't true. know that his entire life is falling apart. It's not why it's not wide known widely known information yet. Because, let's be real, the the ER is a festering pool of gossip, and I'm surprised not everybody's sending him cards. And then, here comes a very pregnant Chloe to get an ultrasound. And she tells us that she broke Susan's blender. She was trying to make a smoothie, and she broke it. And, dear God, that pregnancy pad on her costume is still terrible. It just sits (laughs) way too low. Yeah, it's... I was hoping it would get better between last episode and now, but... And I think think part of it is because she's just such a, um... Such a... thin framed woman too Mm -hmm. that it's just like the way they have it setting on her just does not look proportionate and she doesn't really have like the pregnant lady walk down either like she doesn't like poke it out and lift it up she just sort of like still slouches forward like she did before she was pregnant so she doesn't she doesn't help it at all and but i love how susan's like it's okay i can buy a new one it's fine (laughs) it's fine this is fine uh, so then we get our next trauma for the episode. Uh, bleeding, angry, drunk man, uh, who we find out uh, his name is Riker. Uh, and he's in the trauma room ranting about old cars uh, that he wants, like a 66 Chevy something or other. He's clearly drunk off his ass. I think it's Mark asks him, how much did you drink today? Can't even get a straight answer out of him. I think he tells him to go to hell or something like that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, is it Wendy that asks if he's doped up enough for them to be able to do the laryngoscope on him? I think so. Yeah, so they, they're they going to scope his throat because they want to know where the bleeding's coming from. They want to know if he's got an ulcer or if he's got uh, like a vein uh, issue in his in his throat. So they're, they're going to do a laryngoscope on him. They have not given him any sort of sedative. They're basically just counting on the alcohol, sedating him enough so that they can do this. And he's got a bleeding ulcer. They're going to have to cauterize it. And Doug charmingly refers, uh, charmingly uh, informs him that you've drank yourself into an ulcer, and now the taxpayers are going to buy you out of it because ah uh, yes, so empathetic. Yes, because the public allocation of tax dollars is really the most pressing issue at this exact moment. Thanks, Mark. But Riker is played by an actor named Dean Hill, uh, whose only notable role to me personally was one of the Nazis in the Blues Brothers. Okay. The I Illinois, hate Nazis. Illinois Nazis. 
So yeah, that's gross. And we see a little bit more of his story come up a bit later, and it absolutely broke my heart. But we'll get back to that. Um, right now, we go over to see Mrs. Dibble, a.k.a. Kitty, asking Mark if she looks old. She goes, I feel old. It feels like nothing good is ever going to happen to me. So clearly her meds are working and bringing her back down to a more flat-lined level, which for her might be a little bit more blue. And it's just Mark is, like, not the person that needs to be hearing this right now because his <laughs> life is falling apart. In other news, we finally got a hold of the diabetic girl's mother, and Benton's like, all right, well, you know, keep upping her stuff and call me in an hour, you know, if anything changes. He's like, he wants to be closely monitoring the situation, but he has to go do some other stuff. And Hale just goes... She's not like a surgical patient. You don't have to do this. She's really just like, why are you, Dr. Benton, lord of the surgical realm, um, hate most vile despondent of the pill pushers wanting to keep an eye on a medical patient? And, she, you know, he's just like, Benton wants to save everybody today. He's so got he, some shit going on. Yep. So he's like, just keep me updated. And then there's a little quick cut over. Uh, Rolando is trying to find someone to come in for him. He's just moving so slow and so sweaty, and you just want to give him a back rub and put a nice pack on him. Yeah, just, oof. I feel you, Rolando. I feel you. <laughs> and then Mr. Riker, Lou Riker's wife, shows up, and he's he's upstairs. He's, he's stabilized and everything, and Mark says, Oh, um, you know, the paramedics found him on the street. You know, why was he there? Like, do you want to go see him? And Mrs. Riker goes, that's where he lives. Don't ask me to explain it. I can't explain it to my daughter. I sure can't explain it to you. I brought him some clean clothes. Can you see he gets this? I just wanted to see that he is alive. Mm. And then bails. Like, and that's the last we see of his story. And it's just, it's a very odd insert. Like, they just needed, you know, a minute 45 to fill. And this is how they did it. And just... Mark seeing another marriage completely blown apart. Rip your heart out in under 90 seconds. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. It sure did. I cried. And Mrs. Riker is played by an actress named either Mel Ryan or Mel Ryan. I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. Um, but she kind of made the rounds of 90s character actor work. Uh, she had appearances in Seinfeld, Doogie Howser, and L.A. Law. I'm surprised I didn't recognize her from Seinfeld. Yeah, I don't think she was anybody, like, significant. Probably just, like, a background character or, like, somebody's girlfriend or something in a in a scene. But Also, I'll have you guys know, Seinfeld is still relevant to this day. As of yesterday at work, we were making a Seinfeld joke. <laughs> a show that's been over for, what, 20 years now? That I still think is one of the most overrated shows in history. You can't be perfect. It's fine. But, yeah, we were all still... <laughs> making references to that damn show yeah people still do all the time fuck i do even but it's not i don't like the show but it's still so ingrained in pop culture anyway that's a discussion for another time <laughs> then we quick cut over to carter and susan talking about chloe and you know susan's really just insisting that chloe isn't staying long but you know we've seen how that goes in the past so she's stay if she ain't staying long she definitely something's gonna go wrong you know, just like stuff always does with Chloe. We'll see how that pans out for her. And then we check back in with uh, Susan's kidney patient, Dr. Strong. We find out his name is Dr. Lyle Strong. Um, they got his urinalysis back. And surprise, the blood in his urine was from a chicken. 
So they smoke him out pretty quickly that he is not actually a doctor and rather is uh, a frequent flyer slash drug seeker. Susan kind of ropes him into a little bit of a trap by going through some like medical jargon gobbledygook like that doesn't actually mean anything and asking him for his medical opinion on it as a doctor and he you know kind of catches gets caught in a lie that he's like yeah that 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 sounds right and she's like yeah that doesn't exist and then he jumps up and runs out of the er in his gown ass hanging out to the wind and uh jerry just walks past him as he's running out the door and is like is that the new spring fashion sweet precious jerry so good and then we flip back over to Mark talking to the parents of the little boy with the heart problem. And he's just got a murmur, little little hole in a bit of his heart that's causing insufficient um, blood flow. And he says it's, it can be easily fixed. It isn't genetic. And the dad's like, oh, it's all my fault. It's my family. Everybody has heart problems. And Mark's like, it's not your fault. It just happens. Like, this is a really easy procedure. We can just get it done. Like, it's not that big a deal. It's fine it's fine and uh the only one i could find here credit wise was the dad who really let's be honest he's the real story here chewing up the scenery uh mr offenbach is the character's name and he's played by a guy named john mariano uh whose big most notable credits were uh jag and caroline in the city and then we have doug's child friend jake showing up (laughs) (laughs) i just like that we just call him doug's child friend I mean, yeah, I'm sorry is. I started that. Yeah. You know, he's uh, they're just kind of shooting the shit, and he's like, and Jake asks Doug, oh, do I have to call you Dr. Ross in the hospital? And Doug is like, oh, you can call me whatever you want. Yeah, well, how about Airhead in very 90s young child <laughs> fashion? <laughs> Eat my shorts, man. <laughs> he's so good. Uh, then he proceeds to ask Doug if Doug works Saturday mornings, and he asks if he can tuck a, take a ton of those mornings off, and we find out he wants Doug to be the assistant coach of his Little League team, which, you know, won't blow up in Doug's face at all, you know, by he's, making that kind of promise. He's clearly learned from the bike experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, just whatever. Just get in deep with this, with the emotionally with this kid. You've never seen your eight-year-old son, but here, let's bond with this kid. Exactly. And then the aforementioned Linda Farrell decides to show up looking as sultry as ever, asking Doug if 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 he wants to help her celebrate closing a huge business deal up in the neurological department. So yeah, she starts hitting on him in front of Jake, like playing with his tie. She's like, why'd we stop seeing each other? I miss you a little. All you had to do was marry me. <laughs> Clooney laugh. Um, <laughs> I love the impression. Yeah. She goes, I don't miss you that much. And then like walks away. When did all this happen? Did we just like miss an episode? Did they just shoot one and never put it out? Like, was there an entire <laughs> Doug and Linda soap opera that we just didn't get to see? I think it's, I think it's a little bit of backfilling of their last interaction like because remember the last interaction he has with her is where he's still all in his feelings about carol and he's like i talked i had this patient today and they were married for like a billion years and isn't that precious and she's like ew gross i don't want to be married to you and so he's like all you know like i said up in his feelings about that and i think if you fast forward to here i guess that's the most logical breaking point i still think they just forgot about her i still think they absolutely just forgot she existed yeah, I think you are reaching a little bit there. 
But yeah, so that was my that was my reenaction of the Doug and Linda soap opera. I hope you all enjoyed. Don't ever make me do it again. Um, and then we we go over to Jeannie Boulet and Benton talking, and she's like, "Why don't we get some dinner? Like you you're clearly stressed. Let's do do you want to go grab dinner at seven? And he's like, "Oh, uh." I don't know, and he's, like, checking his watch and being real awkward, and she's like, it's just dinner, and he's like, uh, yeah, okay, so they're, they're gonna go get some dinner together, and, you know, she's gonna try and make him feel a little bit better. And then we check back in with, well, we, we follow Benton, I should say, we follow Benton, uh, working up a young guy with an arm he can't move and a leg that feels funny, because that's normal. He thinks he had the flu. He fell a couple of days prior, uh, tripping over his little brother. His back hurts. Um, just all sorts of, like, this kid's got, like, Charlie Brown syndrome. Like, he's just, like, all the bad shit is happening to this kid all at once. Um, and surprisingly, Benton is actually really nice to him. Like, this is the most positive interaction with a patient I think we've ever seen Benton have. Like, he has, like, a playful back and forth with the kid. Like, he's not, he's, like, the least... Um, like robotic that we've ever seen him with a patient like he's he's just really really it's a nice change of pace for Benton that he can do that he can turn that on when he wants to um so it's nice to see uh we find out the kid's name is Charlie and he's played by an actor named Carl David Jerf I think I hope I'm saying that right um biggest uh, credits for him were appearances in Adam's Family Values and Picket Fences all right and then we go back to Chloe and Susan. She's sitting waiting for her um, OB appointment. And Chloe's just goofing off and not listening to Susan about what she needs to do. Because Susan's like, hey, you know, you're going to need to start eating better. Like, you, you got to you gotta cut shit out. You got to be you gotta be serious about this. And Chloe's sitting there, like, putting the, um, the why can't I think of the, the name of this tool? The one where they shine the light in your ears? And everything. Oh, yeah. I can't remember. I, I don't called. know what you would call it, but it's the thing you look in people's ears with. Yeah, and she's like sticking it up her nose and just like trying to shove a tongue depressor down Susan's throat and like not paying any attention at all. She's a child having a yeah. child. And Susan's like, shut up, I'm serious. Like, you need to listen. This is important. She doesn't listen. She's like, oh, it'll be fine, Susie, and gives her a big hug. And like, she's like, I'm going to be a mom. It'll be fine. Because that's the, that's the solution to everything. Um, and then we, we go over and we visit with the diabetic girl again and we find out that she had eaten ice cream at, at this birthday party that one of her classmates was having at school. And she was like, I knew not to eat it. Her name is Sam, by the way. And Benton scolds her for not taking her insulin for the past few days. And her parents are there and they're like, why the hell didn't you take your insulin? Of course she's been taking her insulin. And she was like, I'm sick of being sick. I didn't want to take it anymore. And Benton handles this with her so well. He doesn't sugarcoat with the consequences of her not taking her medication. He's like, you know, I'm sorry you don't have a choice in this, but if you don't take your insulin, you're going to die. But he's like, he's still very soft in how he presents it. Like, it's the exact right tone that this girl needs. He's not like yelling at her. Right. He's just like very matter of fact and... When they head out, Carter mentions how great it was. Like, he was like, wow, you were you were amazing with her. And Ben's just like, what are you talking about? And just walks away. He's like, I got a surgery. Bye. 
But, yeah. um, Daniel, do you have any more information about who Sam was? Who, what else she's been in? Uh, yeah, just briefly. Uh, Sam is uh, played by an actress named Jean Marie Barnwell, who um, the only credit out of her IMDb that jumped out at me was um, an appearance in the Nickelodeon kids series are you afraid of the dark from around this same time which i certainly watched a ton of uh, around this time um but same. i didn't recognize her as one of the like main cast members so she must have appeared in one of the actual stories um but th- this particular like scene really spoke to me because like i have a member of my semi-immediate family who is a type 1 diabetic and has been a type 1 diabetic most of their life and I feel like I've watched them go through this sort of thing of where, yes, it's a disease, but it's largely a manageable disease. It's a disease that, you know, we've sort of, we haven't cured it, but we've at least figured out how to make life as manageable as possible with it. And yet there are still these times where it's intrusive, it is inconvenient, it is just like not a fun thing to have to go through life with, particularly with things like this when you're this age where, you know, there are birthday parties to go to and cake and ice cream to eat and things like that and just seeing that sort of like rebellion against the disease where it's like I don't want to do this anymore I'm tired of being sick I'm tired of having to take this medication and I'm tired of having to like miss out on all this like fun kid stuff and it just really like spoke to me as as having seen a family member go through that um, is I feel like it's a very authentic portrayal of that that feeling. Oh, for sure. I mean, I did it with my epilepsy in college for the first year after I was diagnosed. I was not smart or safe about it at all. I have done this several times with my psychiatric medications. Yeah. I'm just like, oh no, I'm fine. I don't need, I don't need this shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I need that shit. <laughs> yep. So they get, they get her all sorted out and it looks like she's going to be okay. Um, but then we go back over to Charlie who is being sent for an MRI because he has absolutely no grip strength at all. Doug pulls Malik aside and tells him to find the kid's parents immediately and put him ahead of everybody in radiology and to get Benton and neurology to take a look as soon as Benton is back from his surgery. Then we have uh, Chloe in. She's in with uh, Dr. Coburn, our previously seen, uh, last seen chewing Mark out in a, uh, I think we last saw her at the conference, at the little... Mm-hmm. Inquisition. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah. I, I was trying to think of a way to phrase it. Inquisition. That's a that's a good way to put it. But she is uh, doing Chloe's ultrasound. You know, kind of scolding Chloe, telling her that she really needs to improve her nutrition and start taking prenatal vitamins because the her child is underweight. So and you're eating for two now. Exactly. And Susan's in with her and Chloe. So is gets all excited that she's having a little girl and says she's gonna name her Susie and that it does end up in fact being Chloe's baby's name is little is little Susie, um, which is adorable. There's but no, there's so much baggage to that. It's I, so messed up. <laughs> on its on its face, it's adorable. Can we agree? Like yeah. objectively. Oh, it's, it's adorable. adorable. Yeah, it's just the whole storyline is just so fucked up. <laughs> exactly, but and Susan rightly looks fucking terrified at the notion of this is like oh there's there's a lot there (laughs) (laughs) and then benton has seen the mri results for charlie and says doug needs to meet him immediately in radiology about about him because something is just very much not right but doug is up in the psychiatrist's office so let's listen into their conversation 
So what do you do now, stare at ink blots? God, no. I don't know a thing about them. Sit down, will you? So, you slugged a guy in the ER. That was dumb. What? That was really stupid. You're a shrink. Aren't you supposed to talk about my neuroses? I know all about your neuroses. You're a reasonably normal guy with sloppy impulse control. That's what it's called? Yeah. Take my advice. You want to lose your temper? Go pop a guy in a bar. Are you suggesting that I hit someone? I'm suggesting you don't do it at work, or they'll fire your ass. My report will say you had a bad week. You're a pediatrician, thus you're particularly sensitive to child abuse. Now, say you'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Good. Or you could really mess up your life. Thanks for stopping by. You know, Dr. Murphy, I have been a little unhappy lately. Yeah. Join the club. Try therapy. Might help. Oh, and uh, have a nice day. So, yeah, how about that uh, psychiatrist? <laughs> Question mark? It kind of feels like he's somebody in Diane's, like, pocket who's just like, okay, mm -hmm. this is where we send the people that we like just to get signed off on. Hey, I feel like this guy is also the psychiatrist for the um, police union. <laughs> like, <Oof>. every time <laughs> every time a cop, you know, steps out of line, I feel like they send him to this guy. Just be like, yikes, yeah, but yes. you feel bad about it, right? You won't do it again, some, right? Wink, wink. Got some hot takes uh -huh. here on Saying the Tone and ER Retrospective. This guy is such a fucking clown. Like, he is just, <laughs> he fucking sucks. Like, he's a disgrace to, like, he makes me miss Div. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't like him. But anyway. And yet, I've had worse. <laughs> really? Psychiatrists. Yeah, well, you know, at least he's not being, like, actively discriminatory toward towards doug in any way true because I, I mean especially yeah. too Being like trans in the mental health care system is super fun yeah i can imagine but i mean doug even tries to like literally cry for help like he's like yeah I, i've not been feeling so great lately and i you know my he's like yeah you should try therapy like fuck me like, and then winks at him yeah what an asshole like and also too i so on a technical note i noticed here that uh, Clooney's hair in this scene is noticeably different from the rest of the episode. Like it's combed differently and it appears to be a slightly different length too. So I'm thinking they must've filmed this after the fact, which makes me think that it was possibly a reshoot or that they, something was wrong with what they did originally. So they had to do it over again, or maybe the actor wasn't available or something, but like it, it just happened to notice like it's, it's noticeably different. Um, Clooney's haircut in this scene versus the rest of the episode. Hmm. Um, and then the, the shrink, Dr. Murphy, he's played by an actor named Richard Hurd, uh, who has appearances. He actually was probably one of the more prolific actors in this episode for bit players. Um, he's got appearances in all the president's men get out and planes, trains, and automobiles. Who now I'm like, who was he in get out? But that's something for a later thing that I'll look up. Also, everybody should watch that movie. And then we, we go and we visit Carter talking to Dr. Green about the ER sub I and I love Mark. He goes, you might not have noticed, but a recommendation from me might not be very helpful right now. Carter's like, but I look up to you and you know, it would really mean a lot if you could at least put in the word just in case. 
And Green's like, okay, fine, sure, why not? Carter's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, and then runs off to do Carter things. And then, hey, my friend Steve the radiologist is back. <laughs> we, to deliver terrible news that this kid has an aneurysm. A massive aneurysm. A massive aneurysm. People keep coming into the room to marvel at how big this aneurysm is. That's how it was when I threw my back out. That's how everybody was looking at the herniation in my spine. Like, oh, that, that, oh, wow. That's, that is, in fact, a large herniation. An impressively um, large herniation. Thank you. Um, but yes, this, this aneurysm is blocking the spinal tract, causing paralysis, and they would have to induce hypothermia and shut down the brain-lung machine in order to successfully do surgery, according to the neurology the neurology specialist that's in the room and the guy says to pass them over to mercy because they just don't quite have the the um technique down and the technology here to be able to do it successfully yeah they're looking for a guy named dr dyer over at mercy who will pop up a little bit later i did wanted to mention i I did check in with nurse jen about this as far as what what the efficacy of or the accuracy of the hyperthermia uh, thing was here and as you might expect there's not a lot of brain surgery that comes through the ER so she wasn't a hundred percent sure as far as uh, whether that would be normal or, or standard procedure or whatever she did say that you know they tend to treat spinal injuries and things like that anytime the spine is involved um, now with hypothermia um, where they try to lower the core body temperature to minimize swelling and things like that when they're dealing with um like a spinal cord injury which i realize is not the exact same thing here um but i feel like there might be some sort of um connection with what the thinking the thought process might be there Mm. but after that we go over to mark uh a random one-off patient that we don't see again but just mark's treating a woman who got bit by a dog and the woman is seems very obsessed with the fact that she might have rabies yeah like really overly worried kind of like the equivalent of someone coughing and you'd be like oh my god they have coronavirus oh my god oh my god <laughs> to, like these days like that level of and mark's just like mm, there hasn't been a dog with rabies in cook county for 20 years you're probably okay but she's still concerned about it oh and then but uh jerry is they go by the nurse's station and jerry is just like oh when did it start raining so we've just we've got our, our weather comments back that's all. Which will play into the scenery, the aesthetic of a later scene. Uh, but for now, Bent, uh, we have a little audio for you. It's Benton on his way out to try to find Dr. Dyer to get the approval transfer. And then Mark has some questions about Doug, about flirting. Any word on the kid's parents? Mother's on the way. I see it's raining finally. Uh-huh. 15 miles. Right, where's he going? Yeah, thanks. Carter, give me your car keys. I need your keys. That's your own call. They paid your diary for mercy. He didn't answer. They won't take the aneurysm without his approval, and he's out jogging. Come on, your keys. GSW to the chest coming in. What's Benton doing? No, looking for Dr. Dyer. It's about his mother, though. Because if he can't make her better, then he'll fix everything else. Carter, I think you took one too many psych classes. Get somebody from surgery down here to cover for Benton. Should be out here. Uh, 20 minutes. So this uh, woman that was, uh, had the dog bite? I think she was hitting on me. It's been known to happen. Not to me. Did she smile a lot? Yes. Play with her hair? Yes. Touch you? On my arm. She was hitting on you. Hope I'm not sending out a signal or something. I mean, you know, I mean, me and Jen... You've been moody lately. Women love to save moody men. Typical clueless uh, Anthony Edwards. (laughs) But also Doug, given that that wonderful advice. But yeah, 
women women love moody men that need to be fixed. Let them fix you. Is that what you, is that what you were doing with me in the beginning? Was I a moody man that you had to fix? No, you were a cute boy that liked me. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Oh, how times have changed. <laughs> Time flies when you're growing tits. Now you're a precious person who tolerates me. All right. So then we get our next <laughs> our next trauma. <laughs> The aforementioned gunshot wound to the chest. This is, I think, the weirdest section of the episode. This is, like, the weirdest patient, the most out of place. This is the one that does it for you? It's just so fucking weird. Like, this this would have fit better in the one uh, from, I think, last week, the full moon Saturday night. Like, this, I think, would have – or no, no, two episodes ago now. Like, this, this would have fit better there because like, it's just so fucking weird. But – uh, gunshot wound to the chest. We've got entry and exit wounds. Um, the exit wounds we noted are very well done. Uh, prosthetics has learned. They've learned a lot since Doug's scratch across the neck. The patient's mother comes in with him and keeps basically just kind of like hovering around the gurney in the trauma room. And is any any opportunity she gets, she's basically uh, just like blurting out, let him die. And keeps calling him El Diablo. And then this is also taking place right around the time that Mark uh, needs to leave so that he can make his train to Milwaukee. So uh, Doug jumps in and takes over so that Mark can get out. And as he's leaving, the mother says to him, he killed two boys today and another one last month. You did no good for anybody. What the fuck? Like, this is a total one-off. It's a total one-off. Like, we do not follow up on this. We get no further context. I do not like this whole this is the most out of place patient in the entire uh, episode, I think. But one thing we noticed and this was this made it even weirder that it happened during this very serious scene was at one point while they're in the middle of the trauma, there's this random ass nurse across from I believe it's Mark and Carol and she reaches over the kid's body like kind of half acidly with some vials yeah, vials of blood. Yeah, and she like like she's gonna hand them to somebody, and then Mark starts talking and doing something else, and so she pulls them back. And then when there's another slight break in the action, she tries again, and nobody takes them, so she just pulls them back and moves around to go do something else. So it just it looks so weird, like when you notice a certain move in fight choreography that doesn't make sense logistically, but makes sense with the flow of the action. And I think somebody on the other side of the gurney missed their cue to take the blood. Interesting. Now I want to but, go back yeah, and look it's, at that. Oh, you will laugh your ass off when you notice it. We rewound it, I think, about three times. Because hmm. I was like, did I just see that right? <laughs> so yeah, it's and it's not one of the nor- it's not one of the regulars or anything. I don't know if she's a normal extra that's typically there just to fill the room during those scenes. But yeah, I think somebody just missed their cue for taking them from her and that's why she tries to do it a few times because she's like i i i'm supposed to give these to someone like yeah there's definitely a um a regular extra nurse that i keep meaning to like look out for and like make note of like visually acknowledge her because every time i go to do the cast notes for this for these episodes there's always a lady at the bottom of the list with a very professional looking headshot and like a full imdb profile and everything and she's always credited as scrub nurse and i've never actually been able to nail her down in an episode like i've not been able to find somebody who looks enough like the picture that i've seen but she's in almost every episode 
this one, she's blonde, and I believe she was wearing glasses, but she has, like, blonde, like, ponytail. Hmm. Something to look out for next time. But in the meantime... Oh, look, surprise, surprise. Diane has a problem with Doug saying yes to the Little League thing. <laughs> who who could have seen that coming? Only the entire universe. Uh, she's very worried about Doug overcommitting to Jake. And, you know, you know, she's an adult. She can handle if they break up. But she just doesn't want Jake to get hurt at this point. And, of course, Doug just kind of shrugs it off and does his little, little Clooney giggle thing. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't even want to try to. It's, it's not that exactly. But I don't even want to try to imitate it. But you know it when you hear it. So... Doug, kind of skating on thin ice there, buddy boy. A little bit. Yeah, he just loves his child friend so much that he wants to be there for him. Which is fine, but also, you know, read the fucking room. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Um, But then we go over to Mark giving Susan the rundown before he leaves to go run to Union and catch the Amtrak. And he is pointing everything out on the board to Susan and, like, running through his cases. And Susan just goes, Mark, I can read the board. Get out. So Mark's like, okay, fine. Runs out in the rain. Great. And then Swift is talking to Carter. And he's like, oh, where's Dr. Benton? And Carter's like, oh, I think he's in surgery. And um, Swift's like, well, I need some of his charts for the visiting doctors that we have here. And Carter just covers for Benton's ass and is like, yep, all right, I'll make sure he gets them to you. Total bro. And then we jump over and check on Benton, who is driving around in Carter's Jeep, looking for, uh, driving in the pouring rain, like absolutely torrential downpour, trying to find uh, the surgeon, Dr. Dyer, who he somehow finds, like, it's like he meant, like, ostensibly we're led to believe that he has gone out driving in the city of Chicago looking for a jogger and the first one he finds is the right one like that's a little bit of suspension of disbelief I think I think the nurses like over at Mercy theoretically probably like broke confidentiality and said oh he usually runs at XYZ Park I mean during his like shift breaks yeah maybe which doesn't help but like that's the only way I can think of that conceivably yeah it's still Chicago and it's still I don't. I mean, it's not jogging weather, so maybe like not many joggers would be. I, I don't know. It just that struck me as a little funny. But he does find him. It's a stretch. Does find him, chases him down, uh, and the the doc is like rightfully so, like completely startled when Benton just comes running up to him. He's like, "Are you Doctor Dyer?" And he's like, uh, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> and uh, basically, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Yeah, and it, it basically. Uh, Benton is like, I need you to look at this MRI, and he's like, okay, uh, sir, this is an Arby's, like, and he has the MRI with him in the Jeep and brought it with him to show this guy, so we see him go, you know, running back, last of we see in this scene is him running back towards the, uh, the Jeep with Benton, and I did make note here, and correct me if I'm wrong, because we've only seen it a couple of times prior to now, but I did think it was interesting, I'm 95% sure that every other time we've seen Carter's Jeep to this point, it has always been black. And in this episode, it is a like it's a brief scene because it's at night, so you only kind of see it illuminated by the street lights. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this like very bright shade of like royal blue. Uh, so it, like I, I don't 
I didn't go back to like verify and double check the other times we've seen Carter's Jeep, but I'm like 95% sure that it's always been black. And for some reason here, it's it's royal blue. You have planted such a seed of doubt in my head because I would have told you, yeah, his Jeep's blue. But now I'm like, did we like, did we see it as black? Oh, my God. <laughs> the only other time, like, solidly I know that we do see it is when Liz is hiding in his Jeep. And I'm like, in my head when I play that scene back, as traumatic as that is, in my head when I play that back, the Jeep is blue. I mean, the, the Jeep is black. So it just... I feel like that that it is black and I'm not just being pedantic here, but see, I could go fifty fifty on it. I have no idea. Yeah, who knew? Berenstein or Berenstain. So then we quick go back and visit Carter, and he is finishing all of Benton's charts to give to Swift, which is go go Carter, just such a good boy. And then Swift is actually calls him and all of the other residents to come see a woman who's been actually struck by lightning and tells carter to run the actual trauma itself and he's uh, swift is all super excited like because it's like hey you don't see this every day like because i imagine being actually being struck by lightning is extremely rare i don't actually have the numbers in front of me but i'm gonna guess it's not very many people it happens to each year and i'm gonna guess not very many survive but yeah, Carter, it's just really cool to see how much Carter has grown and seeing him actually like confident and we'll see much more of Carter and much more of a surgical role next uh, next time around. So it's really great to just see him, you know, get shades of the Carter that we know and actually like confidently running a trauma and actually speaking like he knows what the fuck he's doing because he does. Yeah, he's got a, a lot of practice at this already and obviously you're not going to leave him by himself to do complex medical procedures but you know you give the kid a chance the kid will deliver yeah i i marked down in my notes like that this is carter like we sort of i think talked about it way back at like pilot time about trying to mark where the transition was from when we get from when you know when baby carter starts to fade away and when we start actually getting john carter and i feel like at least in a on a small scale on a micro scale i think this might be the first glimpse of it like i feel like this is where the first time where i was like i was kind of taken aback where i was like oh shit that that wasn't baby carter that was john carter md that we will be getting later on you know so i was like exactly. i was very excited to see that and you know him and little him and swift have a little mini back and forth you know swift asks or Carter says, I have, you know, I have good teachers after receiving compliments from Swift. And he's like, well, Swift is like, well, who's the best? Well, they're all good. I say, oh, they they teach diplomacy, too. Such a such a good boy. Exactly. I really need to start putting patient names in these notes. This is killing me. I'm I'm heartless. Um, (laughs) Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go to Benton walking Charlie to the ambulance for transport. And Charlie's really nervous. And it's fine. And Benton's like, you know, you'll be fine. They're going to do the surgery really well over there. And he's like, and Charlie's like, well, why can't they do it here? Am I going to die? Like, just like freaking out. And Benton just does a really good job calming him down. And just like, no, you're in good hands. I'm sorry. I can't go with you, but go. You'll be fine. And so they send him off. That's the last we see of Charlie. Hopefully he's okay. We never really find out. But I'm assuming that that's our happy ending and he'll be fine. It was hard to tell because that was at night but was that another ambulance bay or was that the one did we go back to the one that 
Carter, I mean, uh, Green and uh, Doug were playing catch in. Yeah, it was that same wrong one. Okay, so it's not a. It was not another unique new ambulance bay. It was we're going back to the old wrong one. Yeah, gotcha. And then we go. Swift stops by and tells Benton, "Hey, your charts look good. And by the way, your student is fantastic." Benton's like, "My charts? Why, thank you." And then he and then Benton just was like, "Thanks, Carter." And Carter's like, "Excuse me." And Benton's like, "I said thank you." And Carter's like, I know, I just wanted to hear you say it twice. <laughs> just so happy with himself. Like, yeah, I kick your ass. Just that gif of that guy punching in the air and just going, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> right. And then we jump over and see Chloe at the admit desk, which is covered with all of the baby stuff she went out and bought today. Uh, and I believe Susan remarks that she spent – she her. Was it that her budget was $300 and that there's no way that this stuff is $300 or was it that she spent $300? I don't know. $300 definitely comes up. The budget was like $100 and she said, she said like essentially you spent like over $300 yeah. on all of this on my credit $300 card. $300 in, in 1995 dollars, uh, right. which is quite a bit more now. So yeah, Chloe, <laughs> Chloe did exactly what we all expected Chloe would do in the possession of a credit card. And Susie, uh, sorry, uh, Chloe just kind of like takes a step back and is just like, Susie, I'm going to be somebody's mother. And Susan kind of like, she kind of like embraces the moment and they like actually like hug and like are like excited about it. But I still feel like that has to be just a terrifying prospect. The, the prospect of this like absolute calamity of a person that is Chloe being somebody's mother is just terrifying. Oh no, Susan looks petrified every time Chloe says something like that. But she kind of leans into it a little bit, though. She's like, well, if mom could do it, you can do it. Like, that sort of thing. I think that's more to reassure herself. Yeah. Yeah, when she's like, why did you buy two of these? We don't, like, you don't need two of these. This is so expensive. Like, you have to be on a budget. You have to be realistic. And Chloe's like, it's fine. I'm going to be someone's mom. Like, what does that have to do with you spending my money? Stab it. And then we finish off the episode with two scenes. Uh, we got audio from both of them. Both of them are a little longer, so please bear with us. But some good stuff in here. Uh, first one, we have Mark has finally made his way to Milwaukee and is just being cute with Rachel before bedtime and then before Jen comes in and yikes. So let's listen in. Three plus three is six. Yeah. And four plus four is eight. And six. Daddy, I don't have any more fingers. Well, I do. Okay. Flip six. Hey, banana fish. It's time for bed. But Daddy's here. Well, Daddy can't stop you from falling asleep in school tomorrow. Go brush your teeth. If I get a story. Hmm. Well, Daddy will read you a story. Go brush your teeth. <gasps> Go. Jen? It's been a long day, Mark. Should I turn around and go back? I just, I, I can't do this. We need to talk about Rachel. I miss her. I need to see her more. You live two hours away. I'll move up here. 
Over. No, I, I mean, I'll get a place here. I'll commute. I want to raise my daughter. You'll commute? I'm not going to get that attending job. I'll try and find a job here. That's what you want to do. Look, uh, can I stay here next week while I'm looking for a place? It's not a good idea. Can I stay here tonight on the couch? Daddy, aren't you coming? I'll be there in a sec. Get under the covers. Please. Okay. I have several things. One, what the fuck is a banana fish? <laughs> Two, how the hell is Jen affording such a nice place there? Like, that looks like a really nice apartment. Yeah, she's a, a clerk, right? Like, right. I can't imagine that's paying really good money, especially then. I don't know. Right. And then three... Um, I don't know if they purposely have Rachel lean in to kind of watch this discussion from the background or if the actress just missed her mark and like leaned in. But at one point in the back, after she runs into the bathroom, all of a sudden you see her lean back out of the door a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it it almost looks like she's watching them argue. But I think it could have just been that the little girl got really excited and just like peeked back around. I thought she was just watching them argue. Yeah, if it is. Well, she doesn't stay there. That's why. That's a brilliant little bit of subtle you know stuff there if if they did plan that like that's right that's a nice little touch yeah god this is so awkward just this is just but yeah what the what the fuck's a banana fish <laughs> I, that's really the lesson we want you to take away from the from, t- from you know, i i asked myself folks. the same what question the when i was is watching a banana fish but just just oof all of it just mark let it go man there's such a thing as knowing when to cut your losses and if there's anything that's ever gonna tell him to just, just yeah, just just let it go, man. There's you're not coming back from this, right? And it's like, where was this compromise months ago? Right. Yeah. It's not until he's like pretty sure he's lost everything on the other end that now he wants to try to reclaim. You know, that's why like as as shitty of a character as Jen can be sometimes, Mark's not innocent here either. Like he's just as shitty as she is. Like they're both just bad fits for each other personality wise so it's just it like just let it go both on both sides just let it go for sure so then we go from that little bit a little bit of heartbreak into something to to the beginning of something to the beginning of the beginning of something equally ill-advised exactly but Yikes. yeah so we cut we ha- <laughs> i don't know yeah but yeah so we have uh benton and genie talking about their college graduations and different life stuff at Doc Magoo's, having that dinner that they agreed to earlier. So let's, let's hear what they have to say. So she, she stood up when she started to applaud. In the middle of graduation. <laughs> the whole medical school was staring at her. <laughs> when I graduated from college, my father danced. What's wrong with that? On a table. I hope my kids don't sit around laughing at me. Better than hating us. 
You don't hate your mother. Just because your mother's great doesn't mean mine was. So, um... She's never gonna get any better, is she? There won't be much improvement. And there's not a damn thing I can do about it. That's real heavy-handed. Yikes. So I, I can't decide which... Uh, so I, I have, like... This is a very, like, brief and very ill-advised little tryst coming up here. Like, this might even... I think this does bleed into season two. I'm not 100% sure on that. But... I feel like it does. Yeah, but this, this doesn't last super long. But, like, it's just a bad idea all the way around. <laughs> and... I want to coin like a stupid fun name for it, and I can't decide which one I like better: Benlay or Bulenton. Which one? Which one do you Boulenton. like? Bulenton. I think Bulenton. Like yeah, I like Bulenton as well. So this is the genesis of Bulenton. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, this is a bad fucking idea. Like, Just like that name. Well, you know, it fits. Great weird way to end a great weird episode. Yeah, I think weird is the best way i can sum up this this one yeah it's another one where there's like there's a lot of small chess pieces that they knew they had to move forward so they just stuck an episode around it yeah it's um it's a couple of steps to the side of a really good episode like there's that's a good way to put it like there's good stuff in here i and i also feel like i feel like we've had um i'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head but like we've had episodes that lacked a strong central theme or a strong central plot and the episode as a whole kind of suffers for it and i think the theme or the central plot of benton trying to uh, like trying to save everyone in lieu of being able to save his own mother is strong enough to carry an episode and for some reason the execution just doesn't really hit here like it's they were on the right track with building an episode around that, but for some reason the the pieces don't just quite fit into the puzzle to to come together with a really great episode. It's not bad, but it's just kind of underwhelming. It's it's very much middle of the road for me. Well, I wonder if you can you could have maybe done a little bit more with like to make it a little more not maybe subtle, but like maybe make it just a little more nuanced. Yeah, like instead of hitting you over with it, hitting you over the head with oh no, Benton has issues with his mama. Here, he's got to fucking fix everything and clock you in the head with a brick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's so close. It's so very close, but it just doesn't land. I liked it, though. It was uh, I still thought it was a good filler episode. Yeah it's, yeah, it's surprising that it's here, like three episodes away from the end of the season. This feels much yeah. more like the flavor of episode we were getting around like 14, 15. Yeah. 
but we'll see how the next three go. Lauren, anything else? I'm really just intrigued to see how the season closes out. Like, I want to see how strong they finish at this point. See if they stick the landing. Yep. Well, that should just about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards, once unlocked by you fine folks, will include a special season recap episode, a monthly freeform bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives at that moment, pop culture, and just various other nonsense. Uh, and we'll also have uh, monthly moving commentaries for you, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. Uh, we would also really appreciate if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. Uh, we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided by, to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Dan.U, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. You can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell where we take a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. Awesome. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at Lobob92345, where I will be frantically and rabidly tweeting my plans for my Animal Crossing New Horizons village. Oh, Tom Nook. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thank you again very much, everyone, for listening. Please join us again next week for episode number 23, and have a great week. 